This is a crowd podcast. Welcome to the Fertility Podcast, where we aim to educate and empower you on your fertility journey, whatever stage you're at. I'm Natalie Silverman, a broadcaster and fertility coach, and I had my son after successful fertility treatment. And I'm Kate Davis, an independent fertility nurse consultant. We'll be your trusted guides, chatting each week with experts and people just like you to let you know you're not alone. Let's dive in. Hello, you're not running this time. Well, you've not been running. I've not been running. Now, I went for a nice dog walk this morning instead. Yeah, it's a bit grey out there and I don't feel inspired to go out running when it's um, grey. I need, need to have a bit of spring sunshine. See, <laughs> you are one of three people that I talk to on a relatively regular basis who are back into their running and yeah. I can't do running. As I've explained, I've always had a weak pelvic floor and after having a child, it's even worse. And despite having the NHS app Squeezy, mm-hmm. which I ignore, to be honest, on my phone. Well, probably that's... That's probably why you're not getting any better with your pelvic floors I know, then. I know. And I do need to work on it because I, I am signed up for a Tough Mudder competition <gasps> in September, <gasps> wow. which is meant to be last year. But, you know, I do keep up my fitness with other things. I do like, no, you do. but Very I just good. don't run and I need to, I can run. I just don't run because of that. I need to, <sighs> that's the running place going, Natalie. Oh, you no. need to get running. I've even got special pants. There's a really cool brand called BP3, which, um, is pants oh. for that because when I play tennis, yeah, we'll talk about it in more detail, maybe another episode, bladder problems. Oh, interesting. But hmm. um, yeah, BP3, they're on Insta, they're really good. Now, I want to just give a little fanfare, which I might put in a sound effect, because Kate has won an award. I have, yeah. yes. And I'm not very good at blowing my own trumpet. But you can blow it for me. you know I play the trumpet? Have I told you that? No. Oh, yeah. I didn't know you played the trumpet. grade eight. Yeah, trumpet player here. Wow. So you went all the way up to grade seven. Well, you missed, I missed them out. I went kind of five, seven, and then, yeah. Wow. And then, but I was doing eight when I was doing my A-levels and it was way too much to learn. Oh, gosh, I'd love yeah, to do it again. Stress. But then I went to university and yeah. had my trumpet stolen. So oh, no. I got replacements. So I've got the most amazing. I've got a Bach Stradivarius trumpet <gasps> that's hardly been played. You need to take it up again. I think you tend to take things up again later on in life. Yeah. When you've, because I play the piano, I'm never going to do that again. But I, I love singing and I used to sing in a choir and I've been doing some of that. So, yeah, no, you should definitely. Well, my little one is um, having a little with it. So um, I do, I do. Now we've got more of a kind of thicker walled house. I've always been nervous. It's not the most quietest of instruments to play. So now we've got like a proper sturdy house. I do pootle on my trumpet, tootle on my trumpet a bit more. But anyway, not about me. What award have you won, Kate? Well, I've won an award, which is kind of best, I can't remember what they've called it now, but best fertility consultancy and advocacy or something, UK. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank Amazing. you. Thank you. Yeah, so it's it's all good. So I won't talk too much about it yet because it's not been announced. But yeah, just going through the process of it all. And so check out her um, socials because you can shout about it on there, can't you? I will be. I will be shouting about it once I can. Yeah. On a more serious note, it's been the most kind of shocking week for women <sighs> that, I mean, I just shared something on my Instagram the other day because I was really thinking about it. I used to live in Streatham in South London and Balham and Clapham, all those areas were my kind of my areas and was hanging out there when I was in my 20s. And I was really taken back to that point in time and how I felt and I'd often be out and I'd often walk home on my own and mm-hmm. And just the idea that there's going to be so many people terrified now, even more so. I mean, I've always been vigilant, you know, on a walk home, as I hope we all are. 
But um, it's just been so sad to see. And I had put on the post I'd shared about the Reclaim These Streets campaign who have already smashed their target and raised more money than they'd set out to to support women's causes around the UK. They were going to hold the vigil, which they then decided to cancel because they didn't have the permission. And obviously, as we saw on the news, loads of people turned up and things went wrong. And Mm. the, the people behind Reclaim These Streets have been trying to speak with with Cressida Dick and they said that they haven't really been been pleased with with what you know she said and at the time that we're recording she hasn't yet resigned but there are calls for her to resign aren't there Mm, there are and you know like like you I think maybe we've all all of us women have thought back to our younger days and like like you I I trained at St Thomas's so actually Clapham wasn't that far away that was one of my main stomping grounds as well as Brixton and central London. And I used to walk through central London at two o'clock, three o'clock, four o'clock in the morning on my own after a night out to get home. But I think we can all think about in a time when we've either felt scared yeah. or we have had somebody following Put us. The keys in your and hand. I, yeah. And I vividly remember being exposed to on a train back into central London after I'd been home to the Cotswolds. So I really, you know, I think we can all recount. I don't, I don't think there's a woman that couldn't recount some occasion like that, which is so awful, isn't it? Because what men wouldn't be able to recount a time when they felt vulnerable or that they were going to be attacked or scared. Yeah. Never. I mean, I think any of us walking through the streets at night feels scared and we're, we're acutely aware of our surroundings. And it's so sad that we should have to feel like that. We just need to keep having this conversation in terms of, you know, women's safety. And I actually saw a really interesting tweet from Professor Adam Balin. Adam is a colleague of, uh, of yours, isn't he, Kate? We worked together in Oxford many years ago, and um, I obviously follow everything that he does with regards to PCOS because he is the UK PCOS expert, and we've had him on the show, haven't we? Yeah, and we're going to be doing a PCOS episode very soon. And he's just brilliant. He's so knowledgeable on everything to do with PCOS. So we have caught up a couple of times since working together. So Adam posted the other day, like many other men, I have been shocked and disturbed by events surrounding the horrific murder of Sarah Everard. I have been listening to the stories of women, including those closest to me, and the full extent of the problem has really hit home. My thoughts are with all women affected by male harassment and violence. I stand with you all in solidarity and I'm ready to help play my part to bring about change. My sincere condolences to Sarah Everard's family. Brilliant. And I just thought that was so wonderful across all different age groups that men are realising. And, you know, I was watching it with my husband and... I think, like you said, men haven't really ever had to have the extent of the vulnerability that women have when they are out at night. And it's not right. No, it's shocking. And something really interesting happened to me only last week. I had to go down to London on Friday for a hospital appointment and Rich came with me. We got the D train from Peterborough and we parked in a deserted car park because, of course, no one's getting onto trains. And when we came back, it was daylight and he went to the pay station and I carried on walking towards the car. And I was walking at quite a lot, quite good speed. And suddenly out of the corner of my eye, I saw somebody and it made me jump because I wasn't, the whole area was deserted. There was nobody there, but somebody was coming up quickly to the side of me and I literally jumped out of my skin and it was rich. And and I said, you frightened the life out of me. And he laughed. He said, oh, I'm sorry. He said, I was just trying to race you back to the car. And I, when we got back in the car and I said, that is exactly what it feels like for a woman. And that was in complete daylight. Okay, it was deserted car park, but complete daylight. And that frightened me. And I said, we yeah. shouldn't have to feel like that. Yeah. And he was it's like, kind yeah, of in- no. ingrained, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, really is. Although, could you argue that anybody coming up and 
I mean, I suppose it's just if it was a man and someone came up behind, beside them and made them jump, they might have the same reaction. Possibly, but, I, but my reaction was there's a man there, and and it was and, and there was was nobody else around, and it well, it was danger. Me. Your reaction was, was I'm in danger. danger. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't. Oh, jump out my skin because somebody there. It was it was a danger because I I obviously subconsciously realised that it was a man. Just yeah. didn't realise it was my husband. Instinct. <laughs> You're like, oh, it's oh, it's yeah, him. okay. <laughs> Now, in this week's episode, as we move on, we are going to be talking about you going to your GP to ask for more information about your fertility. And this could well be your first, your first thought, your first decision to go and ask for help because things haven't been working and, and instinctively it's go and ask your doctor for help. And so we're kind of spelling out all the different things that we hope you feel confident enough to talk to your GP about. So so have a listen and make sure you do keep going through to the end because um, we will give you more details of how you can obviously get in touch with us. And of course, you'll hear from our expert, James Nikopoulos, who's been answering your questions. But for now, this is about you going to your GP and hopefully we're kind of getting you really clear on what to think about and what to expect. We're really pleased to be working with Biogland on the Fertility Podcast. Biogland's red krill oil is a pure source of omega-3, which supports heart, brain and eye health. And it also contains sustainable sourced krill oil from the Antarctic Ocean, which I've been learning a lot about. It's also quicker for our bodies to absorb, much more so than normal fish oil, so we get the health benefit faster. And the good news is there's no fishy aftertaste or reflux. Now, I take these little red pills daily and they really are super small and easy to swallow. And what are the benefits of omega-3 when it comes to fertility, Kate? Well, that's a really interesting question. There are some studies to show that omega-3 can improve in sperm quality, actually, which is really interesting. Uh, There are actually a few randomised control trials and those are our gold standards. So those are the really the research studies that you really need to be looking at. And they show that there is this improvement. With regards to egg health, there are studies, but they're low of lower quality. But it, it does show that there are potentially some improvements in egg health. But I think when it comes to egg health, we still need to do more studies to fully understand the benefits. So in terms of what you're going to take when you are looking to optimise your fertility as much as possible, omega-3? Yeah, absolutely. I recommend it to my patients, to both male and female. Why not? So if you want to discover the Biogland difference, it's available to purchase now at Holland and Barrett, Amazon and Tesco. So we've been trying to reorganise the way that we're sharing all the information in this relaunch for the podcast. And when we were talking about the things that we thought you might be doing along the way, one of the things we felt that we hadn't really covered was that that conversation at your GP when maybe you've been trying for a while and then you decide, well, actually, you need to go and ask someone who might know what's going on. And so I thought it would be really useful for Kate and I to just explain how that could look and the kind of things that you need to think about asking so that you can go into these conversations with a bit of awareness. So first of all, Kate, because we've obviously been talking so far about things that you can do to optimise your fertility, and we're going to be talking more about other things that you can try. But how long should it be before you actually make an appointment to go and ask for help? Obviously, we're, we're talking in a pandemic, and we're all more reluctant to make an appointment to go to the doctor anyway. But we know that we can't really hold back on this because we just don't know what might be going on if we're trying and not being successful at getting pregnant. So how long should it be before you go? 
Well, I'm going to answer that question in two ways. Firstly, I think whenever you start trying to conceive and maybe you've had a couple of months of nothing happening, I think you can actually make that decision at that point to go and get initial advice from your GP. There's nothing stopping you doing that for either of either of you, male and female partners can pop along and, and at least have a discussion. When it comes to a referral, that's slightly different. So if you're under the age of 35, then you have to be trying for 12 months before you can get a referral from your GP to the fertility doctors for further investigations. Or if you're over the age of 35, then it's just six months. So it's important to have those figures in mind. But like I said, there's no reason why you can't pop along to GP or in current circumstances, most likely have a telephone call with your GP, have that dialogue, have that discussion. And maybe if you're lucky, your GP might do some blood tests for you. So you're getting the first stages done a little bit earlier. And that information can even help to move you forward a little bit on your fertility journey. Okay, so that's happened. You've booked in. What are you going to be asking in that kind of initial conversation? Because I think that in itself, I remember putting it off for ages because various people were like, no, you've got to be trying for this length of time. You've got to be trying for that length of time. And and then, oh no, lie. And, you know, what kind of things should you be prepared? Yeah. And I think that's a really good question because actually I think you can feel quite anxious, can't you, when you go and speak to a doctor and your your words can get a little bit jumbled. And I would say always write down everything that you want to talk to your GP about. Be mindful that your GP probably has only about eight minutes, eight to 10 minutes of consultation time with you. So try and get everything out, but have it there so at least you can refer back to it. You don't leave thinking, oh, I should have asked about this or I should have asked for this. So what you initially want to be asking for for a woman is to have some blood tests done. So the blood tests that you want to be asking for are things like a full hormone profile. You want to be asking about your thyroid. So looking at your TSH, T3, T4. Uh, you want to be looking at possibly your prolactin levels, vitamin D levels. So just the kind of basic tests, which are going to really flag up any concerns. Those can all be done at any time in the cycle, though, ideally with the full hormone profile ones, you want those done on days one to three of the cycle. But you could also ask for a progesterone test, which should be done. I hate hate the fact that it's called day 21 progesterone test because that's only accurate if done on day 21 of a 28-day cycle. But you can ask for the progesterone test and just be mindful that if your cycles are longer or shorter, then it should be done seven days prior to your next period, which your GP may not realise. And what about guys at this point, or is this just more focused on the women? No, not at all. So there's no there's no reason why you can't ask at any point for a sperm test. It might be that the GP says, do you know what, how long have you been trying to conceive for? Let's wait a little bit longer. But you can certainly ask and find that information out. Okay. So it would certainly be worthwhile asking. And I think if after blood tests and sperm tests, if anything is showing to be of a concern, that's when hopefully you can start at least be a, a step ahead of the referral process then. And so how long does it normally take for you to get some kind of results? I mean, obviously, we're talking in unprecedented times, mm. so things might take longer. But what, what could you expect? So blood tests, I mean, I think it really much depends on your practice and the laboratory that your doctor surgery works with. But it should only be a matter of a few days. And obviously, if you don't want to go to GP or can't get access to GP, then you could always look at home testing for blood tests not necessarily as good for sperm tests, although you can do home sperm tests, but they don't show up everything. So I would always recommend if you do a home sperm test, do ask your GP for one, uh, an NHS sperm test at some point as well. And we will put a link actually in the show notes to some of those home tests because we've talked about that Mm, in previous podcasts. So 
you get your blood test back, what could the results show? What type of things are we trying to understand and what do we do with them? Okay, well, hopefully they'll be absolutely normal and there'll be no problems yeah. at all. But you might notice might be some irregularities in your full hormone profile. So that's looking at your LH, FSH and estradiol. You might notice that there's some problems with your thyroid. And if your TSH, which is your um, thyroid stimulating hormone, if that's elevated, then that could indicate that there is a thyroid issue. And it's well worth having that discussion with your doctor. What other things you might notice will really depend on what tests you've had done. But certainly progesterone, you would hope if that's timed correctly, that you would have a progesterone result that was indicative of ovulation. And if not then you would want to get that redone. And I think with any test, whether it be the sperm test or the blood test, if there's any abnormalities, get them retested within a, a few weeks. What about if you haven't been well? Obviously, we've got yeah. all sorts going around and you know, you've been putting off maybe getting booked in for the blood test and then you had the date for the test and then you weren't well. I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. if, if we're talking about COVID, then you're not <laughs> going to have been able to have gone anywhere. No. But if you've been unwell, because I have heard conversations of people not being well and that affecting tests once they thought they'd recovered. Is there a period of time you'd say if you've been unwell to wait? Yeah, I mean, things like your thyroid, your TSH, if you've recently had a viral infection, for example, your TSH can be elevated. So I think it, it's sensible if you're if you're unwell, clearly, like you said, with COVID, don't go anywhere. But if you're unwell, you could either, if you're feeling well enough, but you've just recently been ill, you might want to go and get it done and then look at the results and review those and think, actually, I know I was unwell then and ask your GP to repeat them. Or you might want to cancel it. It depends how easy it is to get into GP and whether it would just be worth sticking with the appointment that you've got. And what about things like if you're underweight or overweight mm. and you're, you're thinking about this conversation with the GP? I think be prepared if you're either overweight or underweight that your GP is very likely to bring that up into the conversation. It would be really remiss of them not to bring it up. And I think it's important to talk about that, although it might be difficult to hear it it's likely that it will be part of the conversation. And clearly, you know, in an ideal world, being of normal weight, having a normal BMI is is most likely going to improve your fertility. It's going to decrease your risk of miscarriage, of problems during delivery and problems for your baby once born. So trying to maintain that normal weight is important. So it might well be that you start to have those conversations with your GP and hopefully in an ideal world, your GP would give you some support on how to either increase your weight or to lose weight. And what about if you're listening to this, having had a child or having been through fertility treatment and then there's been a big delay because of COVID or because of whatever's been going on in your life and you're kind of starting again? Hmm. Would all of this same stuff apply? Yeah, absolutely. So if you've had uh, a a child before, then we do know that secondary infertility can occur. And it's really frustrating because we don't often know why it's happened. So it's still really important, even though you've conceived a child before, and even though your partner has conceived a child before, it's important to remember that the sperm test is only the proof of fertility at that moment. And other factors can get in the way. So whether it be lifestyle, whether it be environmental. So yes, if you've had a previous pregnancy, or you've put things on, things have been delayed because of COVID or whatever else is going on, then yeah, absolutely, it's important to start again. Blood tests, if you've had them done a year ago, then they're no longer valid by this point. So having regular blood tests is, is a good thing to do. 
So with that in mind, if you've had them done and then everything got stopped because of the pandemic, what's the kind of shelf life of of your results? It really depends. Again, it's quite difficult for me to answer that because different clinics and different GPs will have different parameters of kind of guidelines. But I think it's reasonable to repeat blood tests kind of six months to a year. In our last episode, Kate, we spoke with Helen at Hertility Health about home testing. And we've talked about home testing before on this podcast But it was really interesting talking with her about what she thinks needs to change in in terms of what experiences we have at the GP and how this test can help. Just tell me a bit about what you think about if someone is following our guidance and say they've got the test that she was kind of talking about. It makes you armed with more questions to ask. Yes, I think if if a woman is interested in looking at her own fertility and having some home blood tests done, then when she gets that information in that report, she can really be armed with lots of information to take to her GP and ask for, for, I guess, the right further investigations or referral or certain treatments because she'll have had a really good understanding with fertility, for example, that actually this is something that she needs to consider. I think that's why I was quite interested in fertility and the fact that they've they've identified these nine reproductive concerns women have, like endometriosis, PCOS, and they help women to identify that, or at least if you're not having it, because obviously they're not going to be able to clearly diagnose everything, it will take more than just a blood test, but to actually have an understanding that this could be an issue and then go to your GP and say, look, I've had, for example, raised testosterone on my blood test this could indicate that I have PCOS. Please, could we look at having a scan to see whether I've got cysts on my ovaries? And I think that's really helpful to be empowered with that information and then go in asking for what you want. That's the secret. If someone's listening though and they're thinking, well, I haven't got the money to spend on that test and I want to get all the tests done free with yeah. my GP, but I don't I don't feel confident saying there might be a problem because we 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 hear mm-hmm. women feeling that they've been fobbed off or that they're told not to worry yet. How in the eight to 10 minute window that people are often faced with, how, how do they kind of push to be heard? What would your tips be? Well, that's a really good question. I think sadly, it is often going to be more than one consultation and maybe making a bit of a nuisance of yourself, keep going back. And it's really sad that it has to be that way. But if you think on average, it takes eight years to get a diagnosis of endometriosis and pretty much the same for PCOS. It is part in part because women are having to fight for the right answers and for the right treatment. So I think my first thing is to get empowered. One of the things that I do within my practice is I I help to advocate for women. So I tell them exactly what they need to be asking for. So get empowered, find out what it is that you're entitled to, what you can ask for, what further investigations could be offered to you. And just keep being persistent and going back and asking for it and don't give up. One of the things that we're really keen to kind of help you get your head around and Kate's really passionate about educating you is how to optimize your fertility naturally because ideally we don't want anybody having to walk through the doors of a fertility clinic and of course you can find out more about how you can speak with Kate by looking at her website your fertility journey or do you want to give your insta yeah which is your fertility journey (laughs) and I'm at fertility poddy if you want to come through me every Thursday we have our brew at two so you can also come there and ask questions is there a certain question that you always ask your patients that would be a good one for a GP to ask? Yeah, that's an interesting one. Yeah, I think possibly. I mean, one question I always ask my patients, for example, is about their mother. And they, I think they think, why on earth is she asking me about my mother? But what's really important when you're considering your fertility is to look at your family history. 
So they might ask you about your family history. And with a mother, it's all to do with the age that your mum went through the menopause as to what age she was and whether you're likely to follow suit. Because we do know that 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 menopausal age follows in family. So they might ask you about that. Or they might ask you about any fertility history in the family or PCOS. We know that PCOS, for example, definitely goes down the the family roots, uh, whether it be sister, aunt, mother, grandmother, whatever. Um, So they might ask you that. So just be prepared to have that information to hand should you need it. But I think the important thing is, don't worry too much. Don't get too anxious about speaking to the GP. It can be really anxiety provoking. And I know personally, I've sat in the waiting room rehearsing what I'm going to say in my mind over and over again. But one thing I know for absolute certain is if you're prepared and you go in asking for what you want, you're more likely to get it. Because unfortunately, in some circumstances, you can be kind of fobbed off a little bit. But have it in mind what you want. Be empowered to go and ask for it. Ask the expert. 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 This is what I get asked loads, James, so I'm really intrigued in your answer. My periods are really light, only two to three days. Can this be a sign of any issues? It's a really tricky one because obviously, you know, as doing general gynecology, a big complaint is having heavy periods. So some people would be delighted to have quite light periods. But understandably, in the context of infertility, infertility, any sort of variable can be concerning. More often than not, it's not an issue. The key is, does your lining thicken up to the sort of level we'd like to see it that allows an embryo to implant uh, successfully? So I think if there are any, are any concerns, a potential scan around mid-cycle when your lining should be a bit thicker for reassurance is a sensible option. And this is probably particularly the case if you've got any underlying risk factors. So if you've had lots of miscarriages or, or a termination or any surgical procedures on the uterus that may have caused any scarring, they not be sensible in particular, just to get that ruled out as a factor. But more often than not, it's not a problem. And I know you're referring to Asherman's when you're talking yeah. about that. Yeah, is- you know, Asherman, Asherman's, um, well, one of two things, either Asherman's when there's adhesions in the lining of the womb, things are stuck together and it can't thicken up properly. And sometimes just multiple procedures on the uterus can, can affect that base layer that regenerates every month. So things aren't stuck together, they just can't quite thicken up well enough. And I think the, the main issue is, if cycles were heavier and they've suddenly got lighter after procedure, that would be the real trigger to get things looked at. And you probably think I say this often, but we have done an episode about Ashman's, so I'll make sure mm. the link to that episode is in the show notes. Perfect. Ask the expert. 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 Any last thought for anybody thinking about going to the GP? Yeah, I think there's two things. Get empowered advocate for yourself but I've got a third and be persistent those are my three key points excellent advice and let us know what you think of this episode we'd love you to subscribe to rate review and share it because the more people that hear what you think about this podcast means that they'll listen to it and also we love hearing about it too thank you as always for your support we're talking in more detail about endometriosis on our next episode between now and then If you haven't yet, come and join our closed Facebook group. That's where we're always reminding you about the opportunity to ask James, our expert, your questions as well as on our Insta. And we'll see you next time. Crowd Network, a place where you belong.